Okay, we're in a series, a sermon series in uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, so if you've got a Bible handy, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And we'll read uh, the chapter. <clears throat> okay, let's hear God's word um, from verse 2. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth -car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter, uh, sorry, did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Okay, let's um, pray. <clears throat> Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we know that uh, your word, uh, that in your word you say that the precepts of the Lord are perfect, that uh, they're more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Uh, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Uh, we pray, Father, that that would be our attitude to your, toward your word this morning, that we would hear it, that we would uh, see the wonderful, uh, the sweet things that are here for us to take hold of, Lord, and to put into practice in our lives. 
And so we ask that your spirit would enable us to do that now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I was about uh, eight or so years old, uh, I went with my family to a, on a church camp at a place called Kuyura State Park. Uh, it's about two hours northwest of here, and uh, it's a, not a bad place, so I uh, highly recommend checking it out one day. And uh, on this church camp, one of the daily activities was a, uh, a hike, a fairly long hike. I actually looked it up out of interest last night to see how far it was. It was it's about an 8K walk. And uh, so the whole group was uh, doing this walk. Now, back then, the park wasn't maintained very well. And so halfway along this walk, we actually couldn't work out which way the track was going. And we spent some time searching around. And uh, eventually, uh, half the group uh, decided that um, they would go back the way we came, back to the camp. Uh, the other half, uh, a little bit more adventurous, I guess, decided, no, no, we're going to keep trying to find the track and complete the actual walk. Well, I was in this other group uh, looking for the track, and I can tell you it was an absolute disaster because we got hopelessly lost. Eventually, we couldn't find any tracks, and we were just wandering uh, through this bushland uh, for what seemed like an eternity. Eventually, we came to the very outside border of the state park and uh, we discovered a road. And so we walked along this road around the outside of the um, park uh, for a long time, actually to the point where some of us, I remember I was one of them, just couldn't walk any longer. We were just so exhausted. And so we all sat by the side of the road, hoping that a car would come along that we could flag down. Uh, eventually one did and the car stopped uh, and even offered to uh, take um, a couple of the guys uh, all the way back to the campsite. And so they got some cars and came and collected us. So thankfully we were found. <laughs> and uh, I can still remember, my main memory of that was just how sore my feet were when we finally got back to the camp. Just absolute agony, all that walking. I have no idea how far we went. But it did really show me back um, right from the beginning that getting lost uh, is really a horrible experience. Something you don't want to do. I don't recommend that at all. Uh, <clears throat> but I tell this story because it does illustrate what can actually happen to us spiritually. Uh, we, can, we can get lost spiritually. And there's a lot of similarities because when you're out in the bush and you get lost, usually you don't realize until it's too late. And that's exactly what happens in our, you know, in our life, in our relationship with God. We can, we can wander from God without even realizing it and then one day find ourselves in a pretty lonely and uh, scary place. And that can happen to us as individuals, but it can also happen to us as a church, as a community. And that's actually what we've seen in 1 Samuel. Uh, the book of 1 Samuel opens with the people who had wandered from the Lord, a people who were lost. And for the first seven chapters in 1 Samuel, uh, it's, it's almost like they didn't realize it. They were just wandering. And when you get to chapter 7, it's like it finally dawns on them that they were really lost and they want to get back to God. 
But how do you get back? When you lose your way, how do you get back to God? And that's what this chapter is actually about. Uh, in it, we learn that the way back to God is always through repentance. It's always through the work of a mediator. And it's always remembered by an Ebenezer. Okay, let's look at those three things. The way back to God, it's always through repentance. And that's what verses 2 to 4 are all about. Uh, this is where Samuel actually comes back on the scene. If you've been with us for the last three weeks, uh, you'll know that um, Samuel, not even mentioned, uh, it was all about the ark uh, of God. And, uh, but here Samuel comes back on the scene, and it seems to be because of what happens in verse 2, that uh, it says the ark was uh, lodged at Kiriath Jerim. A long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So that there, that's the wrap-up of what happened in chapter 6. That Remember, uh, people, they looked at the ark, and uh, a whole heap of them died, and they dealt with that by getting rid of the ark, sending it away, sending it off to kiriath Jerim. And then 20 years pass, and so, at some point in those 20 years, the people are like, what have we done? Okay, and they start lamenting after the Lord. It's like there's a change of heart. And it's this lamenting that seems to be the signal for Samuel to come back on the scene, to actually begin his role as a judge. Uh, Samuel was the last judge of Israel. And he begins that role here. And uh, he begins the role by leading the people in repentance. Repentance. <clears throat> so we'll have a look at verse 3. It says, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, there's actually a lot to unpack in that verse. Uh, but notice, notice what Samuel does. He doesn't assume that their lamenting is necessarily repentance. He actually he says to them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. See, what can Samuel see? He can see that they're sorrowful over their sin. He can see that they are really upset about the loss of fellowship with the Lord. But Samuel knows that it's possible to be sorry over sin without that actually leading to repentance, without that actually leading to a restoration with, in their relationship with the Lord. And that's something that's it's actually unpacked the most clearly in um, 2 Corinthians. So in that passage that Matt read for us earlier, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, where the Apostle Paul, he makes this distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. It's a very important distinction. So what is worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is the regret that we feel, not over the sin itself, but over the bad consequences of sin. Okay, look, every time we sin, there are consequences for that. Uh, they might not be immediate, but they will eventually unravel. And those consequences are always destructive. Okay, so however we sin, whether it's um, in some action or in our words, 
uh, even in our thoughts, eventually there'll be some sort of destructive uh, consequence. And uh, that causes problems um, in our lives, causes problems in our relationships. And we always feel regret over those consequences. They're always upsetting. Um, just for example, let, let's say you lost your job because um, of corruption or laziness. Now, obviously, you're going to feel sorrow over that. Or if you lose a friend because uh, you're really mean to them, again, obviously, you're going to feel a sense of sorrow over that. But that sorrow doesn't necessarily mean you've changed your ways. Okay, it's sorrow over the consequences not necessarily over the sin itself. And that's what the Bible calls worldly sorrow. So worldly sorrow, it's the sorrow that, that doesn't actually own the sin. It's, it tries to make excuses for it. it. tries to play it down or avoid responsibility. Uh, worldly sorrow says things like, you know, I'm sorry you're offended by my actions, or I'm sorry that you feel that way about me. That's, that's actually worldly sorrow. Uh, but worldly sorrow tries to make excuses and, and justify uh, the sin. Now, godly sorrow, much different. Because godly sorrow actually takes the sin seriously. Godly sorrow is sorrow over the sin itself. And over the sin, the way it offends God. It's, that's the, the sorrow is about in relation to God. <clears throat> So godly sorrow doesn't try to minimize sin. It doesn't try to excuse it. It actually owns it. Confesses it even. Admits it without playing it down. And sees how wrong it is before the Lord. See, on the surface, to a, an observer, worldly sorrow, godly sorrow can look very same, much the same. You know, both might be accompanied by tears. But what's going on in the heart? It's the difference between death and life. And that's what Samuel is seeking to uncover here. That's why he says, if you are returning to the Lord. He wants to know, is this the godly sorrow that leads to repentance? And so he asks this question that gets right to the heart of it. He says, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart. Okay, if you want a definition of repentance... That's a very good one. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. Because that's actually what repentance is. Repentance at its very heart is to return. Okay, repentance is actually a turning around. It's a turning away from sin and turning back to God. That's repentance. And the fact that it's returning to the Lord with all your heart means that this is not, it's not a superficial change. It's not just something that, that someone has forced you to do. Uh, it's, it's not something that anyone can do for you. It actually has to happen in your heart. You've got to, in your heart, turn away from sin and turn back to God. That's repentance. And, you know, many people actually find repentance very challenging. A huge challenge, actually. Uh, it's kind of like, imagine someone's drowning in the ocean and you go out to them with a boat and you throw one of those um, lifesavers to them and you yell out, grab on! And this person who's drowning, all they can do is just sort of bob around the lifesaver 
They don't actually reach out and grab onto it and you yell out, grab on, what are you doing, grab on. And eventually you get frustrated, so you dive into the ocean, swim out to them, and when you get to them, you realize the reason why they haven't grabbed onto the lifesaver is because they're hanging onto something else. Some, something that they really love and just are not willing to let go of. Uh, maybe some possession that they, they just love too much, will not let go, and therefore they can't grab the lifesaver. And you know, that's, that's actually how we can be with our sin. You know, God actually calls us to repent, to leave that sin behind, grab onto him as our saviour. You know, he offers forgiveness, he offers grace, he offers freedom. And yet, many just aren't willing to let go of the sin, to actually take hold of the saviour. Uh, see, that, that's what it is. That's, that's what it means to repent. Okay, that's, that's how you take hold of Christ in the first place by letting go of your life of sin and rebellion and taking hold of the Saviour. So, but returning to the Lord with all your heart, it does actually mean that the sin that you once loved, the sin that you once fed and indulged in and justified is the sin that you now hate. And you want to resist at all costs. That's what repentance looks like. The repentant person hates their sin, not because of the problems that it causes, but because of what it does to God, because of the offence it causes to God. The repentant person doesn't hate their sin because it messes up their life or disqualifies them from things, but because they see it as God sees it, as utterly offensive. That's repentance. That's what Samuel calls the people to in the passage. And he says, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. See, their sin was idolatry. And so for them to return to the Lord, they had to leave behind the idolatry, which is what they do. Verse 4, it says that they put away those things and serve the Lord only. And so the people did come to repentance. This was a heart change. Uh, this was a re true returning to the Lord. Um, but for us today, what's the application from this passage? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Are there things in your life that you need to put away in order to return to the Lord? Okay, if God is speaking to you through verse 3, how does that sentence end for you? Okay, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away what? What is it? What do you need to turn away from? Is there something that's holding you back or something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of? Is it your bitterness? Perhaps lust? Maybe it's uh, gossip or some divisive behavior. What is it that you need to let go of? in order to return to God. And this actually is a, it's a big part of the Christian life. You know, there's a song that we sing that goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's describing every Christian. You know, the weakness of the flesh, it's still there. And so we are prone to wander away. 
And yet God, in His mercy, He calls us to come back. Okay, don't get lost. Come back. And the way back is through repentance. So that's the first thing. The second thing we see here, though, the way back to God, it's embraced through repentance on our behalf, but it's actually restored. The way back to God is restored not by what we do, but by the work of another. And we see that in verses uh, 5 to 11. Uh, here, Samuel, he gathers the people at Mizpah. They're going to have a, a, a public confession of sin. Okay, their sin was public, so they confess it publicly. Uh, if your sin's private, you confess it privately. That's a, a good pattern. So here we have the whole nation. They're returning to the Lord. Uh, verse 6 says that they gathered at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. Now this pouring out of water, there's, there's no other reference to this in the Bible. And so we're not completely sure um, what it's about. It seems to be some kind of symbolic action to reflect what was going on in their hearts. You know, maybe pouring out their, their sorrow over sin. It's probably what it communicates. Uh, but here they are. They've come to this, this place where they can make their repentance public. And right in the middle of it, they're interrupted. <laughs> Imagine this, you know, this great solemn ceremony and all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a war because the Philistines, they look at, you know, they must have scouts. They see all the people gathering together and they think, hey, what's going on? Is this some kind of military exercise? And so they muster their army and go out after the Israelites and attack them. And uh, the last time we heard of the Philistines, they were all um, suffering with tumours. That was 20 years ago. They must have recovered uh, since then. But they attacked the Israelites. And in, in verse 8, we read that uh, the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And, uh, and so Samuel does that. He prays. He, makes, he offers a sacrifice. And then in verse 10, we read that as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And so here we have God comes to the rescue of his people. The last time the Philistines attacked the Israelites, what happened? They were defeated. <laughs> you know, that they thought they could get God in on the action, but because they had turned away from the Lord, he left them to be defeated. But this time, he comes to their rescue, and it's a miraculous rescue. Okay, What is this thunderous sound? What does that even mean? It just means what it says. There was a really loud noise that sent such a shock through the Philistine army that they just couldn't fight. And so they are defeated. It's a miraculous rescue. God has delivered his people, so clearly the relationship is restored. Uh, but what these verses draw out here is that God did this for them not in response to the people crying out to him, but God did it in response to what Samuel did. Did you notice that? Notice in the verses the people, you know, they're, they're desperate, 
But they don't cry out to God. Instead, they say to Samuel, can you cry out for us? And uh, verse 9 actually says uh, that Samuel took a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, and Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. So what's going on here? Here we see this is Samuel. He's serving in his role as a priest. Okay, Samuel, he's kind of like Moses. He has all these different roles. Um, he was a prophet. Uh, that was his main calling. Um, but he was also a judge, as we've seen in this chapter. And uh, he was also a priest. And what is the role of a priest? A priest is like a mediator. It's like someone who, who comes between two parties and brings them back together. Uh, so the Israelites and God, they were you know, separated in their relationship. The priest is the one who brings them back together. And that's what Samuel's doing here. Uh, it says that he did that by making, uh, offering a sacrifice of a lamb. And uh, he did that because why? Well, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Uh, the people had sinned. Okay? They, they weren't denying that now. They were openly confessing that. But what does sin deserve? The wages of sin is death. Instead of the people dying for their sin, instead an animal, a lamb, was offered as a sacrifice. And so the animal got the death that they deserved so that they could get uh, forgiveness. And uh, on the basis of that, God listens to Samuel's prayer and rescues the people. And so we see here, this, this is actually, it's a wonderful pointer to Christ. It's pointing us to Jesus, the true priest, our high priest, the one who, who brings us back into relationship with God. Uh, see, Jesus, he fulfills um, this on two levels. On the one hand, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So every sacrifice in the Old Testament, every sacrifice always pointed to Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice who takes away our sin. And yet we also see here a pointer to Jesus as our priest who prays for us. See, the point in the passage, the people don't cry out to God. They say to Samuel, can you cry out for us? And that's a pointer to Christ, his role as uh, our, our priest who intercedes for us. Um, do you know we sing about this sometimes? You know that song, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. He ever lives and pleads for me. Do you know where that comes from? Hebrews 7.25 that says about Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus is doing right now. Have you ever thought to yourself that Jesus prays for you? Isn't that an incredible thought? Jesus, you know, he cares for you. He prays for you. Uh, and it says that he, he, by doing that, he's, he's saving you to the uttermost, which means that all of the struggles that you have in life, he's praying for you through them so that you can get through those things, 
See, that's, that's your Saviour praying for you. And uh, we see that here. It's, you know, Samuel, he prays for the people. Points us to Christ who's praying for us. And do you realise that's actually the power that we need for repentance? Okay? What will enable you to repent of your sin? When you know that there is someone who will receive you, someone who will welcome you back, someone who is praying for you, who cares for you deeply, that's actually the power to repentance. You know, when you know that, that Jesus, once for all sacrifice, has paid for your sin, and when you know he's, he's, he's ongoing work praying for you, then you know that you actually can turn from your sin and turn back to him and he will receive you. See, that's the power to repentance. Uh, the power to turn from sin, it comes from knowing, here's another verse, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You actually can repent. You can turn because he will welcome you. He will have you back. So there you go. The, the way back to God, it's through repentance. But it's also, it's restored by the priestly work of Jesus. The third thing we see here, though, is that when God restores us, that, that restoration is a sure hope for the future. Because in the passage, what happens? The battle with the Philistines uh, is won. Uh, verse 11 says that the people pursued them and struck them down as far as beth Car. But then verse 12, it says, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called his name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Now, this is something that happens a lot in the Old Testament where God, he intervenes, rescues his people with some mighty victory and the people... They want to memorize, uh, they want to remember that victory, by, and so they set up a monument, like usually just stones. And uh, you read it so much through the Old Testament that you think, boy, if you went over to um, Israel and stuff, that you'd just be seeing all these piles of rocks everywhere, because uh, God delivered them in, in so many times. But it, it's not that strange. We still do this sort of stuff today. You know, we, we mark all kinds of occasions with um, special monuments. Uh, the town I grew up in, um, in Kerrang had this uh, massive clock tower in the middle of the town and it was referred to as the memorial clock tower. But it didn't remember a great event, it actually remembered a tragedy. Uh, a heap of kids drowned in the local um, river. Uh, devastated so many that the whole town got together and built this clock tower to um, remember that occasion. Well, this stone called Ebenezer it wasn't to remember a tragedy, it was to remember a triumph, that God had saved his people. And to call the rock Ebenezer, that's a word that means stone of help. But the explanation that Samuel gives is very helpful for us to think about. Because the explanation Samuel gives, he called it Ebenezer saying, till now the Lord has helped us. Till now the Lord has helped us. And so the idea here is that this recent victory that they have, that's just the latest victory in a whole string of victories. Uh, a, ho a whole heap of um, times where God has saved them. 
It's like this deliverance at Mizpah. It's, it's just like adding another link to a chain. And that if you follow that chain all the way back, it'll take you all the way back. Well, it'll take you all the way back to eternity, you know, to God himself, who is the source of salvation. Uh, and so it's looking back. Look how much God has helped us until this point. And yet it's also looking forward. Because when, when Samuel says, till now the Lord has helped us, that implies that what God has been for the people until now, he will continue to be for them going into the future. Right? He's saying if God has helped you until now, then he's not going to abandon you tomorrow, is he? What he has been, he will be. Uh, the people haven't exhausted God's mercy with this latest deliverance. God's mercy is new every morning. Now, great is your faithfulness. And, and you know, this is exactly what they need to hear. I mean, can you imagine these Israelites? They've, been, they've wanted from the Lord. It's been years. Years have been out of fellowship with him. And at this point, they've, they've got to the point where they realize how weak they are how sinful their hearts are. They've realized how prone they are to wander. So what a comfort to know that the Lord who has helped them, who has restored them, he will be with them going into the future. You know, they, they might fear, what if we abandon him again? God will be their help. See, till now the Lord has helped us, he will help them again. And do you realize it's not just the Israelites who need to know that? That's exactly what we need to know today. Okay, we all need an Ebenezer. Because, you know, in one sense for all of us, the future is scary. Okay, we don't know what's around the next corner of our lives. I mean, some of you here have been through some huge struggles in the past. You know, and you worry, what happens if that happens again? Or some of you here are in a huge struggle right now, some spiritual battle or some other trouble that you're going through. And, you know, at some point you think, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to get to the end. It feels like I'm just going to fall away at some point. And, you know, we especially feel that in our weakness. You know, if you've, if you've fallen into temptation again, you know, there's that sense in which man, am I, am I ever going to make it? Am I ever going to get free of this? Okay, what is the answer for you? What do you need to know? You need to know Ebenezer. Till now, the Lord has helped us. God has brought you this far. He's not going to abandon you in the future. See, what God has done until now, that actually gives you confidence going forward. That whatever the future brings, whatever struggle you go through, God is your stone of help. See, Ebenezer. Um, there's a song we're going to sing in a minute called um, Come O Fount of Every Blessing. And it was the whole song is based on this verse, this till now the Lord has helped us. Uh, the original words actually go, um, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. Now, that, we don't sing that because it makes no sense unless you're in 1 Samuel 7. Uh, so we sing a modern rendition, which I think is, really does capture it. It says, Until now your love has blessed me, 
you have brought me to this place and I know your hand will bring me safely home by your good grace. See, that's what we need. Ebenezer. And so you, what you need to do in your life, you need to look you need to look at all the ways in which God has shown his love and his mercy and his grace to you. You need to look at those things. You need to treasure them. You need to store them up. Think about them. That's your confidence going forward. Uh, and of course, the greatest proof of God's love and mercy is the cross of Jesus. You know, that's where God has, has said once and for all, I love you and I will never leave you or forsake you. If Jesus is your saviour, he will bring you home. Okay? You don't have to fear the future. He will bring you home. You don't have to fear your own weakness. He will bring you home. That's what Ebenezer is saying to you. And in one sense, the cross is all we need. Hey, we don't need anything else. If we've got Jesus, that's all we need. You know, he is the true and better Ebenezer. And yet, on top of that, okay, it just keeps getting better. On top of that, from the cross flows this never-ending stream of mercies that we experience every single day. You know, think about it. Think about, remember those days or that day when you actually found strength from him to be able to resist temptation. Do you remember that? That was from Christ. Or do you remember that, that, that time where you, you had this uh, time of prayer, this communion with God in prayer? And it was just the most wonderful experience. Do you remember that? That comes from Christ. Or do you remember that time when, when you were feeling discouraged and lost and the Holy Spirit, his inner testimony, assured you that you are a child of God? Do you remember that? That comes from Christ. Do you remember that time when when you heard a promise from God's word and that was just, just the thing you needed to hear. That's what's going to get me through. See, that comes from Christ. Every promise is yes and amen in him. And so what is all, this is all these little Ebenezers, these little monuments in your life where God is saying to you, until now I've helped you, I will always be there. I will help you get to the end. And I know this is overkill, but I have another song <laughs> that I want to quote because uh, there's another song written all about Ebenezer, written by John Newton, actually, um, who, who we know because he wrote Amazing Grace. And he captures this so well. Um, it might take a bit of reflection, but I'll read you the verse. It says, His love, so talking about God, His love in times past forbids me to think that he'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. See, everything God has done for you till now, you've got all of that to review. Okay? You'll be right. The future is bright because you have the Lord. And uh, I think um, <clears throat> most of us in this room are probably going to go through at least one point in life where Ebenezer is actually all we have. 
You know, where, where we, where we, the only thing we have in our life that's going to get us through is that we can look back and say, well, God has brought me this far. He will be with me. That might be the only thing you have one day. You know, one day when it just feels like everything's fallen apart. But on that day, here's one thing that will never fail. Christ is your Ebenezer. Okay, that, and, and that's when you need to lean into him. You need to say to yourself, till now the Lord has helped me. He will bring me through. And, and you know, we're talking today about returning to the Lord. Okay, if you have strayed from the Lord, if, you, if you've now looked at your life and realized, yeah, I have wandered from God, I need to turn. I need to go back to him. Okay, no matter how far you've strayed, there is always a way back. It's always through Jesus. It's always through repentance. Turn from your sin, turn back to God. He will have you because Christ has died for you. And he's risen again. And he will be with you until the very end when he brings you safely home into his good place. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful um, passage that shows us of your mercy toward your wayward people. And Father, we know that if, if we were in your place, we would probably give up on your people. We would think they're just too hard, too frustrating. And you're, you're not like that. You're a God of never-ending mercy. You're a God who is faithful. So we praise you, Father. We praise you for your love toward us. Uh, we know that your love has been displayed so clearly once and for all in the cross. And that, that assures us that if we are in Christ, we are in him forever. That he will never leave us or forsake us. So, Father, we pray that today, that as we examine our lives and we realize all of the ways in which we have turned from you, we pray that we will find this fresh courage to take sin seriously and to put it to death, to turn away from it, to turn back. We thank you, Father, for that promise that you will receive us through your Son. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.